0: Grab a cocktail and sit back. Let's learn how we can make a positive impact in our industry.
1: Hey, y'all, it's Bridget here. I am honored to have been in the company of Barclay Stewart, the EVP of Federal Government Affairs at Southern Glacier's Wine and Spirits. Barclay was an open book in our conversation. We chatted all about his journey to his current role, which is incredibly unique. Growing up in New York, raised by a feminist mother connected with change makers like Gloria Steinem in the Women's Right Movement, he shared these early influences that really shaped his worldview and led him to where he is today. He also talks about his role at SGWS and how he is deeply passionate about diversity, equity, and inclusion in the beverage industry. And he talks a lot about his advocacy in this space and the importance of fostering inclusivity. So sit back, relax, grab yourself your favorite glass of wine and enjoy the show. Barkley, welcome to Served Up. I am so happy to have you as a guest on today's show.
2: Uh, it's great to be here. Thank you. I'm excited to be with you as well.
1: Well, thank you. Can you share a bit about your background and professional journey that led you to your current role at SGWS?
2: Sure. Um It's all a question of how far back you want to go. Um,
1: I would like to take it all the way back. You know, did you go to college, Barkley? Where did you go? Where did you grow up? You know, let's really learn a little bit about who you are.
2: So I grew up in Greenwich Village in New York City, uh, and I am the son of an early feminist. And I mentioned that early on because it really does play a big role in what I've tried to do at, at Southern Glazers. I. I went to grade school and high school in New York City. I went off to uh, college in Rhode Island. Uh, I started a business uh, doing computer consulting. Uh, I met my wife, who is Ann Glazer, uh, the granddaughter of the Glazer founder, uh, Max Glazer, uh, in 1984 on an airplane flying from uh, New York to Dallas. Uh, And uh, that's a story in and of itself. And we lived quite happily in New York City. She's an artist and I was, uh, doing the computer consulting thing and also helping to run a business my mother had started that, uh, did, uh, documentary production and teaching the use of video as a tool for social development. Um, but then, uh, in the nineties, my father-in-law, Robert Glazer, who was the, Glazer CEO at the time had a bad stroke and my wife and I decided that we wanted to be closer to him and closer to my mother-in-law and closer to the business. So we packed up uh, and moved to Dallas with our two little kids uh, and I started working at uh, Glazer's uh, in 1998.
1: It's absolutely amazing. Can we talk about being raised by a feminist? What was that like for you? How did that influence yourself early on and today?
2: You know, as I think I sort of alluded, it was uh, huge. It was, it was. uh, I think I take a lot for granted, but growing up in Greenwich Village uh, at that stage in the women's movement, it was a relatively small group of people, and our house was kind of a. You know, revolving door for, uh, Gloria Steinem and Bella Abzug and, uh, Betty Friedan. And th- these were all my mother's friends. Uh, and, uh, it was a really interesting time. And, and so as part of that, um, my mother was, was really adamant that, uh, she was, wasn't going to raise, uh, a son who was a chauvinist. And I can remember her saying those exact words to me uh from almost as early as I can remember barkley i am not going to raise a chauvinist uh and so one example of that 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 sometimes i talk about is is my mother took me at age 15 to uh the first united nations conference on women uh which was held in mexico city in 1975 Uh, So, it was me and about 3,000 women uh, at this conference, uh, and my mother was producing a a documentary there uh, with global women uh, feminists, Uh, and uh, it it was another one of those kind of life-changing experiences uh, for me.
1: That's incredible, in 1975, and so my mother and, you know, I always tell a story about my mom working for like Argonne National Laboratory. And they asked her to step down when she was pregnant with me because she was pregnant with me. And they forced her to quit. And all the women, instead of, you know, throwing her like this big baby shower, they went and burned all their bras in front of the welcome sign. Right. Mm -hmm. And so and that was in the early 70s. Mm -hmm. And so 1975 were a lot of the topics the same, that you're hearing today? Have you seen things change? You really had a unique perspective as somebody growing up in a household with truly icons of the feminist movement.
2: Yeah. Uh, you know, I mean, I, I don't know how to answer that concisely. I mean, I think a lot of the issues are the same, but things have changed too. Um, you know, what became really clear to me with the exposure that my mother gave me was that governments, businesses, not-for-profits, um, uh, churches all work better when there's balance of representation sitting around the table. Um, that's just as clear as day to me. Uh, it may not be to everybody, but but that's something that is is just an axiom to me. And so, when I look at data that shows that uh, businesses that are more diverse, perform better, uh, and last longer and have happier shareholders. Uh, I feel like that's my mission in the wine and spirits industry. Uh, and candidly, you know, there's a lot of opportunity within the wine and spirits industry. So it's, it's, you know, on the one hand, it's sort of easy target and, and, and any progress is huge. On the other hand, there's a lot of, um, you know, there's a lot of history and momentum that, that has to be broken down in order to be successful. Uh, more recently, uh, you know, just to kind of riff on what you've been asking me about, but more recently I, I represented Glazers and then Southern Glazers to our, the industry's national trade association, the wine and spirits wholesalers of America. The way that works. Is that you, uh, you're, you're invited to join the board and you start out as, you know, second assistant, uh, vice president or something. And you step up year by year and ultimately you become the chairman. Uh, and in 2018, I was the chairman of the wine and spirits wholesalers of America. Mm -hmm. And I made, you know, diversity and women's advancement my kind of call to action. Mm -hmm uh and it's funny because there's a we're about to have an event where i'm supposed to help reflect on what's what's happened since then and and what the challenges are coming up or how it is that we keep the keep the ball rolling keep the movement moving you know in the history of women's advancement 2018 to 2024 isn't that long but uh it was pre-Me Too movement, it was pre-Harvey Weinstein. And we Southern Glazers and we the you know Wine and Spirits wholesalers in total have have made significant progress in that period of time, just not nearly enough. Um, so you know, how it is that we keep the eye on the ball, how we keep motivated, how we keep emphasis on it, I'm I'm concerned by some of the conversations that are taking place around, you know, DEI becoming a partisan issue or becoming political. um, I I don't see it that way. I see it as both a basic issue of justice and a basic issue of good business.
1: Yeah, I agree with you 100%. You know, and as EVP of Federal Government Affairs, what does your day-to-day routine you know, typically entail, I think a lot of us, especially, you know, I think a lot of our listeners are very curious about your role, what it is, and what does your day-to-day look like?
2: Yeah, there isn't an average day. It it's, it varies quite a bit from, from you know, day-to-day or week-to-week. Uh, but for example, last week, I took the new CEO of the Wine and Spirits Wholesalers of America to modesto california to introduce him to the leadership at uh gallo gallo you know is by far the largest winery in the world and uh was where i kind of started my wine and spirits career i had a a gallo convenience route in uh north dallas uh and i felt like given you know, how, how wicked smart Gallo is and how influential they are that it, it's a critical relationship for uh, on the government affairs policy front for the wholesale tier to have with one of our most important suppliers. So I took him out to Modesto and, and Gallo rolled out the red carpet for him, took him on a tour of, of the winery. They showed us uh a tank that they have there that holds over a million gallons of wine which i forget the exact statistic but i think that that tank holds more wine than 90 something percent of all wineries produce uh and it was one of many uh sitting out there uh in in Modesto and we had a great conversation with them and so so that's uh you know that that's one example of what i do I go to a lot of, uh, fundraisers for different, uh, politicians, uh, mostly, mostly, uh, Senate, uh, candidates, but, uh, uh, pretty much across the board. Uh, what else do I spend time on? I, you know, I spend time a lot on the advancement stuff, uh, uh, uh women's advancement and, and diversity stuff. I also spend uh, time as a, as a board member of both Glazers and Southern Glazers.
1: Yeah, that's incredible, Barkley. It really is. And I can see that from your day to day, you're probably never bored. <laughs> <laughs> that's probably just so different every day you wake up, right? And you come to work.
2: I, you know, you don't need to feel sorry for me. I, yeah. have, a, I have a great life uh, and I uh, really take pride in the things that I am able to do for this company.
1: Yeah, that's wonderful. You know, given the dynamic um, nature of government relations, can you share some of the challenges you faced in your career and how you've um, overcome them?
2: You know, I'm not sure that the challenges or the you know the cycle of things that I face are that much different from anyone else. You know, you 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 press hard on the things you believe, and you dust yourself off and pick yourself up uh, if you don't. Succeed, uh, in the first pass at what you're trying to do. If you believe in something, you know, you, 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 you stick to it and you, uh, look for another, a different approach. You you know, the, some of the battles that we as wholesalers fight, um, are things like direct shipment or tax issues, or there was some news this past week about drizzly. Being folded into Uber Eats. Drizzly is something that I was very involved in from almost the very beginning and served Mm -hmm. on the Drizzly board until it was sold to Uber. Uh, again, as part of my role in, uh, government affairs, you know, I'm of sort of two minds in terms of how to, how to reflect on that news of Drizzly. I believe that we, the wholesalers really. Did a good job at demonstrating that there's a way to meet consumer demand without necessarily blowing up the safety and regulation that you know is the three tier system, is the system that we live and operate under. On the other hand, you know, drizzly going away as a as a brand uh, is sad. That's a, an adjustment. Um, I believe that the impact of Drizzly will be sustained in, in Uber, that, um, most of, most, if not all of the retailers that were being served through Drizzly have been transitioned to Uber Eats and that the principles around safety and, uh, in-person delivery Uh, uh, are maintained uh, within the new system, but that will remain to be seen.
1: Can you Uh, talk a little bit about the three-tiered system, especially for our listeners that perhaps are not familiar with the term? You know, what is it? How did it come to be? And why is it important?
2: Sure. I guess, you know, I'd start by saying that in, in the United States, we have the safest Most diverse, most profitable system for alcohol regulation in the world. And, and I think that's something to be proud of. And I think that we have it because of the regulation that exists, not in spite of the regulation that exists. Um, so, you know, a long time ago in the, uh, you know, pre prohibition, um, in, I guess that's 1921 is when prohibition started alcohol was in the US was similar to how it now is in other parts of the world where the producers had a lot of influence over bars and restaurants and retail stores and they were almost uh proprietary so you had suppliers that 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 controlled outlets and when they controlled those outlets um they weren't interested in having any competitive products in in their stores so there it was much harder for smaller brands or brands that weren't part of that controlling producer to be uh available in those in those outlets and there was much more there was much less emphasis on uh overconsumption um so uh, that's really what led to prohibition was that alcohol was being abused. Um, and repeal of prohibition was, uh, an opportunity to do a reset on, on what were our values as a country in terms of how alcohol should be treated. And the thinking that went into the repeal of prohibition was that alcohol was different from other products, that it, it was something that, if used improperly, could be detrimental to an individual and to therefore to society, um, but that when uh regulated properly could be uh, an enhancer to, to people's lifestyles. Um so there was a system that was put in place called the three-tier system, as as, as you called out. And the three tiers are producers, uh, wholesalers, us, and retailers. The regulations said that each state could, in effect, create their own system for regulation as long as there was separation between producer, wholesaler, and retailer, and that there wasn't cross-ownership in order to prevent some of those, uh, um, areas that created, uh, less safety and more potential abuse, um, pre, uh, prohibition.
1: It is very clear. I think our listeners will completely get it because basically, you know, before prohibition folks, it was like the wild, wild west and it wasn't always safe and it wasn't regulated and you didn't know what you were drinking. And during Prohibition, we had things like bathtub gin, you know, that was literally sometimes made in a bathtub, y'all, right? And it was poison. Yeah. So it, it seems it like every it.
2: other week you read about some sort of uh, tainted alcohol incident in some other country, because yes. um, alcohol isn't taken as seriously as it is in the US. But I think it's also really important that in, and maybe not appreciated, but, but the diversity of brands and, and the, the ability for a new brand to get into the market is, you know, much easier in the United States than it is in other parts of the world. Um, because the retailer is not, is not beholden to a particular supplier. Uh, retailers welcome new products mm-hmm. and that's not always the case.
1: Yeah. Yeah. You're a hundred percent correct. And also, you know, partnering with a house like, you know, Southern Glaciers, Wine and Spirits, there's so much support within our sales team and they're highly educated as well. You know, they want to know about the product. They want to really understand it. So when they, when they go into um, their customer's place of business, they have that story of the brand to tell.
2: hundred percent. Yeah. hundred percent.
1: Which is absolutely amazing. You know, with the various stakeholders, and really, you kind of named them all through the <laughs> three-tiered system that are involved with day to day. How do you strike a balance, you know, between the interests of the distributor and the regulatory requirements? You know, really ensuring the alignment and compliance. Uh,
2: we we try to work really carefully with the regulators in in the various markets where we do business. Um, uh, it's a partnership, you know. Uh, we we view our role as wholesalers as being the people that make alcohol safe.
1: That's a great answer. It's it's a good one. All right, Barkley, very good. You know, for individuals that are really aspiring to enter a career in federal government affairs, do you have any advice really based on your own journey that you could give?
2: you know i think that you have to first really understand how business is conducted so something that was really helpful for me was being a salesperson um i think you need to understand and appreciate that you know wholesalers are dependent and and reliant on the partnership we have with our suppliers and we're dependent and reliant on the partnership we have with our retailers. And that, you know, being in the middle can be, um, complicated at times, but that, that it's a critical role. You know, when we are the representative for alcohol in a state, you know, we have a, a more important role in terms of the regulation. And so we end up working closely with the, the, for instance, in Texas with the TABC or in New York with the, Uh, the Liquor Authority, you know, those relationships become critical.
1: You know, you've been with Southern Glaciers, uh, even with Glaciers, now with Southern Glaciers, for a very long time. You know, what changes for the good have you seen in the beverage industry throughout your career?
2: I guess I'd come back to the, you know, to the women's advancement piece. You know, I've been fortunate to be able to be an advocate for a lot of women as they have grown their careers in this industry. You have no idea how fulfilling that is, um, you know, and how how gratifying that is um, to be able to feel like you know, you've you been able to watch people succeed, watch people grow and, and at the same time do something that's going to help the business. Um, it's just kind of a win, win, win as far as I'm concerned.
1: Yeah, I agree with you. It's been such a shift for women, for um diverse people in general in our industry. You know, I too I've been in the industry for 30 years, so for you know, for some time and I've been on every end from owner to bartender, do you name it. I think that I've done it. I've even done dishwasher duties, you name it, right? And it's really cool. I think that the time that we're in today just the opportunities—that's really open to everyone. It's—it's it's a beautiful time to be in the beverage industry. Way better than it was back in the day. And—and and I come from a long line of females um, that were in the beverage industry as well. Barkley, you know, my grandmother Rosella lived above a bar. She was kind of her mother's bar back, and then her mother's mother—they all owned a bar in Coal City, Illinois. And I always joke, you know, if you know where Coal City is, we are related no doubt. right? But I grew up with their stories and their struggles and, and all of it. And to see where we are today is amazing. And I take great pride in working at Southern Glaziers because they give um, females platforms and opportunities that you don't always see in other companies. It's truly in all my years at Southern, you know, it's, it's beautiful to see all the different support I, Cindy Haas and I were talking recently, very recently, you know, there's all these cheers to different groups here at Southern Glaciers. We talk about them on the show often. And one new one that she and I are both going to join, and I can talk about it because she was on the show recently, we mentioned it, was cheers to menopause. This is how open Southern Glaciers is, folks. (laughs) I mean, they're definitely, you know, not afraid to step in and step up. It's really cool.
2: That's wonderful. That's wonderful. So since we're doing shout outs, um, so somebody, a prior uh, guest of yours is someone who I've partnered with on some of the women's advancement work, uh, um, uh, Carissa Lawrence, uh, who is in the Office of Strategic Management now. Mm -hmm. When I was uh, getting ready to give that speech that I gave, uh, calling out my emphasis on women's advancement or making that my cause, uh, Carissa or, or Rissa uh, was my partner, in, both in helping to edit and develop the speech, but also to design uh, a program that we call Women in Leadership, uh, where each year we've sent about 30 women uh, from across the industry, not just Southern Glazers, um, to a program that's hosted by uh, the Columbia Business School or se- several Columbia Business School professors. And it's a, it's a five week, uh, 10 session, uh, program designed to help give women the tools they need as they're growing in their roles and responsibilities. And Carissa was, was one of in the first class and also my partner in, uh, developing and designing the program and has maintained that, uh, role with me. And that's, that's one of the examples I guess I would call out of how nice it's been able to, how, how gratifying it is to see people as they've grown in their careers. Um, Chris is just a, a poster child for that.
1: Yeah, she sure is. What's next for you, Barkley?
2: What's next for me? Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, I also work a lot with, uh, Jennifer Chaplin, uh, token, uh, and she's been doing great work, um, with the panels that she's been doing on uh, women leaders in the industry. I guess I'm thinking about, you know, what women's advancement DEI 2.0 looks like uh, in the wine and spirits industry. I haven't got it figured out yet. We need to turn the camera around a little bit and not put the emphasis just on 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 the women who are advancing, but on the people who are um, supporting and working with the women that are advancing. You know, what? how is it that we need to change? Um, and how is it that we should be supporting, uh, people in that journey? I think the biggest challenge that we at Southern Glazers face right now is not at all. It's not, it's not recruiting strong talent. It's making people feel welcome and supported in their journey. Um, and, and it's not even so overt as that we're not welcoming and supportive. It's just that it may be that someplace else does a better job of it than we do, or the very fact that that it can be lonely to be uh, uh, a woman in, in in leadership where there aren't many other women. I don't know if I feel like I'm rambling there, but...
1: You're uh, not rambling at all. I think you just made a really great point because representation matters, especially when you're in a boardroom, especially when you're at work, you know, to see someone that looks... Like you, or is the same sex as you, in the leadership roles, to have that same collaborative spirit when you're in a boardroom, versus feeling like you need to sit in the corner.
2: Mm-hmm. Exactly. Uh, there's there's a great there's a story that I it's a little bit old at this point, but that that really made an impression on me. There there were there was a a senior leadership meeting that I was sitting in on. Uh, for Southern Glazers, and there were three uh of our strong women leaders in the room, with about twelve of our strong male leaders uh, in the room and the The three women who you know were were not at all shy in most situations that I've ever seen them in were much more cautious, were much more subdued in this room, and it was a real um it was a real clear illustration of, you know, the power of numbers um, in both directions and and how important that balance piece is that, you know, I could, I could see the women being much more guarded in, in how they challenged other people in the room and how they expressed their opinions. And it, it was a just a, a perfect example to me of, of where Southern Glazers was missing something by not having more women around that table.
1: Yeah, I can totally see that. Um, and I do think that it, a lot of that has to do, Like, and I can only speak as a female here, is that when you are bold in any situation where you are outnumbered um, male to female, a lot of times you get a target on your back that maybe you're being aggressive. You're, you're the B word, right? Versus you're just being bold and speaking your mind and trying to get down to the brass tacks where men are a lot of times celebrated for being bold. With women still today, um, most times and not, we're, we are just not. We get a label put on our back and a target put on our back. So thousand uh, percent, it's important to have that balance.
2: Yeah. yeah. You know, I mean, we could have a whole nother podcast session on on, in order to be heard, you have to be aggressive. Uh, but once you're aggressive, you know, you're stigmatized. Um, and how you walk that line, how you achieve that balance, how it is that you really gain influence, uh, without being um, dismissed, uh, I think is a really interesting dynamic.
1: No, I, I agree. I, I agree with you 100%. I'm so happy to have met you and to learn about your story and how you're championing really all these awesome initiatives throughout the company. And I know that it's genuine and it comes from such a good place. And that's why it's working. I mean, Thank that's you. why it's effective. It's not just to tick off a box. No, it's really sweet of you to say that. Yeah. Create change. Okay. So, you know, thank you for doing that. It's incredible. And I have to ask you, because you're on the podcast, we are called Served Up, and we are in the beverage world, Barkley. You know, what's your go-to drink?
2: Uh, you know, I'm a wine drinker, probably first and foremost. Okay. Uh, and I I like you know, I tend to like the wine I'm drinking. Uh, you know, I'm, uh, definitely, I love the one you're with, uh, sure. when it comes to wine, but if I'm seeking out something, I, I tend to, you know, I like, uh, Barola's and Barbaresco's quite a bit. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I like white Burgundies quite a bit. I tend to be, um, you know, uh, uh, I'm not as keen on, uh, over oaked uh chardonnays i tend to to prefer uh, you know a uh, uh, more minerally, uh but uh there's a new grape varietal i tried yet. i've been drinking uh, the last couple of years te which is also from uh, northern italy that i i like quite a bit um i, I love to experiment i'm i've been enjoying wines from uh, sicily from etna uh quite a bit um so i don't have a single answer for you but
1: that's a good answer. I, I never have a single answer. Either. I would say it depends on the season, depends on the day sometimes, you know, mm-hmm. but as a wine drinker, just, I just want to ask you, and especially because we work, you know, for Southern Glaciers, you know, can we just talk quickly about the change in the wine world and how crazy it is to navigate and how open and new it all is compared to maybe 20 years ago? So when you look at a menu, it's like, holy moly, where do I start? Right. It's so fun. I think that there's just so much out there that just wasn't before so much more that's available to discover.
2: And and I think you have to do just exactly what you're describing. You have to embrace the idea that it's about discovery. Mm -hmm. Uh, I think too often people wait for, you know, they, they, that what makes wine less approachable to people is they feel like they are going to make a mistake or that they don't know, have enough information or something. Mm -hmm. And uh, I wish there were some way to really just put the emphasis on experimentation and that the right answer is what you like and that not everybody's going to choose the same thing.
1: Yeah, a 100%. And not be afraid to try, right? Mm -hmm. To Mm -hmm. try something new that's on the menu that maybe you're curious about. Mm -hmm. I think the wine world is terribly fun. Current day. I think it's
2: I think it's why the uh, why the on premise is so vital in terms of the industry is that you know you can have a server or a sommelier or, or or someone who can share their experience and that's a way of of learning of trying something that you might not have tried otherwise
1: absolutely and you know they they are really the ones that are going to tell you the story of the bottle mm-hmm And a lot of times it's a family and a lot of times it's generations of producers Mm -hmm. and it's terribly romantic. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, that's why I love wine. I think that has a great story to tell. Yeah. Yeah. You know, with that, um, Barkley, I want to thank you so much for taking time out of your very busy schedule to spend with me here on Served Up. And on behalf of the Served Up family, I just want to wish you some great health and a lot of peace. Thank you so much. Cheers to you.
2: Thank you. And thank you for all that you do, Bridget. It was a pleasure being with you today.
0: Thanks for listening. Served Up is brought to you by Southern Glazers Wine and Spirits, produced by Zunu.online. Music by We Kill the Lion can be found on Spotify. Make sure to subscribe to be notified of future Served Up episodes. Cheers!